Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 161. Our appetite to risk when seeking financial freedom. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, Dividend Talk is the place to be for insights, analysis, and unsorted advice on how to make the most of your money through dividends with our own unique European flavor. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and join our community on Facebook at Dividend Talk. See you on the inside. Hey, European DJ. Another weekend, another podcast, buddy. <laughs> yeah, time continues to fly, but I'm really happy. It was a good week and uh, you know, lots going on in the market, right? Uh, there seems to be a bit of decline in the market, which for me is really nice because in these times, I always feel like a kid in the candy store. There's just too much to choose at a certain moment. But I had one good, good thing this week. I had no cash to invest. I was living uh, since Monday on 40 euro, trying to find money for food effectively, but I got my salary today. So I can finally uh, splurge a bit again and invest also a bit next week again in dividend growth stocks. Yeah, few people will understand how good that actually feels sometimes that you're you're just living right at the edge of where you need to be. No more, no less. You're You're right at the limit. Yeah, that's the result of paying yourself first, right? So when my uh, money comes in, half of it goes straight away to the investment account. And with the rest, I need to live. And this summer was a bit expensive, specifically uh, the last month. You know, my, my kids had certain uh, desires to go stuff. So I was just splurging. But then, yeah, you have some more days left in the end of the month. And <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I cooked a bit more at home to save costs as well. So it was actually not so bad. Uh, yeah, it works out, works out better. Nice and healthy for you as well. So it's a win-win. Definitely, uh, definitely. But hey, let's let's touch on some news this week. And unless you lived under a rock, it's hard to ignore NVIDIA this week. They've been absolutely all over the news. And for good reason. I mean, that was quite a beat that they had on, on their earnings this quarter. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I have never seen... Since I'm following the stock market, I've never seen such an earnings hike. Um, revenue was up to 30 and a half billion, 88% more than in the first quarter. So in a single quarter, they were able to double almost their revenue. And I'm just envisioning how this goes, right? With, with the factories and everything, or how, I mean, they, they must be on full steam everywhere. And they probably outsourced the manufacturing. I'm, I'm not, not, I don't know the company well enough. I'm just thinking like how, if, if they would tell us at work over the next three months, you will need to double your output. I, I can't imagine how we would do that. Could you imagine? I, I couldn't imagine doing that over two years, <laughs> three months. No, but I this mean, company pulled it off. Probably some price hikes, so it might not be pure volume, but th this is what is blowing me so so much away when I look at this uh, at, at these numbers. The the under the the thought behind it of that they must have done this in three months. This switch 
it's it's just crazy when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's look, it's probably not three months in the making that they obviously had worked their way into that. But I mean, looking at some of the highlights from it, um, it's staggering the numbers that they've managed to achieve, and they've even gone as far as saying, and the CEOs on record are saying, a new era of computing has begun. And if you look at the broader the broader context of that, what does that mean for the likes of Intel and other players in this space? Yeah, well, that's the thought that always comes up to me when I see NVIDIA performing like that. And I think like, oh, Intel, where did you lose your, lose your mojo? Yeah, they, they started at the, I, I could see it, you know, if you, if you look back, they didn't invest enough in CapEx. The CapEx that they were investing was also not effective with, was a Bob Swan at the time. Yep. Uh, he was just like an account manager effectively and now pat gelsinger needs to fix a lot from the lack of investment and these have long lead times right and at the same time nvidia is also not sitting still they have top talent uh, they are they have everything uh, going for them at the moment so it's really really tough on intel to to become competitive again but i still have hope on those new machines that intel purchased hopefully they um they can do something with that and earn some market share back. Yeah, but it, it, you only have to look at the history. At one point, Intel were the top dogs, and they were sitting in this position with everyone scrambling to catch up with them. Um, now NVIDIA is probably arguably out in front, and everyone else is going to scramble. But that's the beauty of a technology. It just takes one in, it's your one innovation away from a game changer and, and catching yeah. and beating your competitors. So there is obviously hope. Um, but again, you, you would probably feel it frustrating if, if you are investing in this space and you pick Intel and you see the, <laughs> yeah. you see the returns you get yeah. from Intel versus NVIDIA. It's hard not to be, um, how would you say, it? it's hard not to have FOMO in, in times like yeah. this. But I, I feel sorry. I know there was a lot of people who had shorted NVIDIA in the lead up to this because their share price had accelerated quite quickly. Um, I'd say they must be hurting pretty bad now after after this. Yeah, that's why why you shouldn't speculate with options. Anyway, yeah. Um, this this is just if you are an investor, even even dividend growth investor. I mean, you like good businesses, and I think this is an example of a good business. Um, yeah, they, they pay a dividend, don't they? It's really really small. <laughs> yeah, but also dividend growth. I checked it. Uh, it's not worth it. It's, yeah. I don't call the dividend growth stock. Yeah, no. it'd be it'd be one of these companies that's sitting your. Apple, I'm not sure Apple, you're kind of growth portfolio. Yeah, yeah, in, in this few, few percent per section, yeah, yeah. true. But I, I don't own it, by the way, disclosure. I don't own it, and I have no intention to own it on the in the short term. No, no, well, Jim Cramer said buy it, so it's probably a good time to sell Oh, yeah, but he has a dog uh, called NVIDIA. By the way, if you uh, if you would have a dog, what, how would you call it? Yeah, uh, my, my last dog, he only passed away recently, actually, um, about three weeks ago. Um, his name was MJ. Um, MJ. Yeah, so after Michael Jackson. And the reason for that was he was a cross between a Labrador, so a Labrador's black, yeah. and a golden retriever. So he was both black and white. So we called him ah. called him MJ. But now if you get a new dog, what company name would you give it? What company name would I give it? I would call him probably Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would maybe do then uh, to mix it up. I would do Ahold. Ahold. Hey, Ahold, come on, <laughs> go home, Ahold. 
Uh, brilliant. Um, okay, let's let's move away from non-dividend growth stocks and talk about uh, one that is more inclined to be known as a, a dividend company. That's CVS Health. Um, they've been in the news again uh, about a new brand that's targeting the biosimilar market, I believe. Yeah, so so CVS is struggling, right? Um, they they their stock prices went also really down over the last weeks. Um, I don't find their dividend really safe. I don't think they have an issue on the short term, but on the midterm, I, I, it's not sustainable in my opinion. But um, yeah, what what they announced this week, and I, I think they're also desperate to create a, a, some narrative around their company. But um, they have launched a new brand, Cordavis. Which is uh, trying to get a share of the pie of the biosimilar market, which they believe will be 100 billion uh, in size by 2029. And what I found really interesting uh, for Epfi and Novartis uh, shareholders, um, they want to target Humira. Um, so, so the uh, biosimilar uh, via biosimilar from Epfi. So, and this biosimilar is called uh, Hirimos. And they want to operate in such a way that they don't do all the R&D, but kind of the branding and the last mile, uh, let's say, delivery, the marketing. So they will co-manufacture with Sandos, which will be spun off from, uh, or which is already spun off, or will be spun off from Novartis. And effectively, they will look after the market uh, in, in the United States and, and maybe even beyond. Uh, not 100% sure about that. And uh, yeah, they 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 say and that's so funny how they say it, right? They they want to really s emphasize that they are co-manufacturing. That means that they want to look after the quality um, of the product as well, and not just take a label on the on the on the stuff and then put it in the put it on the shelves. Um, yeah, but really interesting. So you know, this is sometimes nice, right? If you have Upfi. And you're afraid that biosimilar competition will eat up their revenue. You can also play the other side. You could buy some CVS and anticipate on some additional earnings, which it is eating away from Upfi. You could even um, uh, buy some Sandos. I haven't analyzed Sandos how it will look like afterwards. There, uh, there's manufacturing uh, this stuff. So there are always these kinds of um, setups that you can play, of course, in your portfolio. But I found it really interesting that CVS is now going into the biosimilar market, and uh, let's see where it brings them. Yeah, it's it's, it's quite surprising. And uh, was it we mentioned Viatris as well mm -hmm. are going for um, Avi's Humira as well? I, I think there's a list of companies that are going to try and. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the most successful drug of all time of all time yep. so it, there's no surprise people are lining up to to do this but i agree with you from cvs i wasn't aware they're in the biosimilar market first of all i don't know if this is their first venture in um but you're right they're obviously trying to create create some some headlines yeah um, i checked um, the sandos website as well about hirimos and it was written that for the first of july they started selling um uh, this in the states so i've so that's why I'm a bit confused with the news. I need to dig deeper here. But um, yeah, this could be a really good deal, right? If CVS has the retail, it has the um, it, it has all the shops, it has the whole delivery network, whole supply chain setup in the US. It has all these benefit packages with what they can include it to. Yeah, so they might be more interesting than for 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 patients as well to yeah. to have their healthcare package uh, with CVS if they get cheaper biosimilars. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it makes sense. I know another company 
not quite dissimilar from them are actually involved with the company I work for. I won't say who in either cases or I'll get sued. Um, but I do know that they do something similar. They take our product, we put their packaging on it and ship it out to them. And, and they actually make, um, they do quite well in the sales of that. So it, it makes sense to, to do that. Why not? If you have the capacity to, to do that, why not? Um, but like, like I said, there's only two players in that market. You've got Walgreens and CVS in America. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how the two of them are struggling so bad. I, I really don't. You've got two big players and they're really, really struggling. Um, but it's interesting. Look, they've taken two different paths now. CVS mm -hmm. are looking more probably into biosimilars. They see there's probably a bigger bigger share of the market that way, whereas yeah. Walgreens have gone the other way and are building this health villages and this like all-inclusive health facilities. So let's see what happens with yeah. those. Good, good, good. And then uh, still some other news. We always have this section about dividend hikes and, yeah. and cuts lately as well. So how about this one? Altria Group hiked their dividend actually today by 4.3% to $0.98 cents per share. What, what like do you think it. about that? I like it. I like it. I, obviously, look, they are a high-yielding company as it was. I think they were 8, 8.4, upwards of 8 anyway. And now you're getting a 4% hike on top of that. I was not expecting it. I have to say I was expecting maybe a 1% hike or something small. Um, but as a shareholder, you have to be quite happy. I think they're in a good, solid position financially and um, we know the troubles in that particular market and they're trying their best to navigate it even though unsuccessfully in terms of their dual acquisition and stuff but i mean they've got they've got the cash so why not give it back to us yeah and you know this is the nice thing right when you think about um dividend growth investing it helps so much if you have a high yield that just continues to grow with three four percent uh annually yeah then yeah. you're so so quickly at a 10 percent yield on cost and this this really helps you fuel your dividend income and reinvesting yeah i, I would not be honestly i would not be disappointed if they had one or two percent i kind of expected one or two percent and um, four yeah. percent was a little bit unexpected for me but i will take it it's it's cool. yeah. i think it's seven or eight percent of my portfolio in terms of mm -hmm. uh, dividend yield i didn't quite buy it at, at that price but yeah, I've been reinvesting the dividends. I'm up to 106 or seven shares now, and let's see where it wow. goes. Well, then a, a company that is not are hardly ever mentioned on the show, uh, also in the chip industry, Lem Research. Mm -hmm. They hiked their dividend with by 16 percent, which is also really uh, nice for shareholders here. I don't expect it in a lot of portfolios. Uh, ticker symbol is LRECX, uh, but uh, yeah, congratulations to the people that own it. Yeah, and we have to talk of course about two dividend cuts really quickly hawaiian electric suspended the dividend but that's of course normal right with all the wildfires there i'm, I'm not surprised at all also with all the litigation that they uh, uh get their way it's, yeah. it's it's good to do that right but then the big one i think is uh that also many people in the community own is medical properties trust take a symbol and MPW, they cut their dividend to 15 cents. That's like a 40, 41% dividend cut. So it goes from 15% to, let's say, 8 or 9% yield at the moment. And I mean, what, what, what do you think about this? Because the irony is, right, on their investor relations websites, they had uh, the day of the announcement, when you open it up, the investor relations websites written there, well-covered dividends from inflation-protected cash flows. 
So what do you think about this stock? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it wasn't so long ago that this was on everybody's lips. It was on every YouTube channel was covering it. Twitter was covering it. And it was quite split because they dropped in share price dramatically quite fast. Um, nearly over half their share price was wiped out. So you were getting a 14, 15% yield at one point and everybody was jumping on the bandwagon saying, oh, the dividend is safe and and uh, buy more. It's, it's a great company. But you will have to... You have to step back and realize do you really understand this company what does it do and why did the share price drop um i'll be honest with you up until three or four months ago these were never on my radar it was only because they're <laughs> on every single channel on twitter that they popped up but i never felt the need to to buy them i felt 14 percent dividend yield there must be some problem and i i, I sidestepped it but um, i don't think reading some knowledgeable people blogs and articles and out there i'm not surprised that this was happening i think it was forecasted and a lot of people expected it that know about these types of companies yeah, yeah so when i saw it passing by of course you know that's why i'm also on social media right to get some inspiration and uh but when i looked at it it just didn't met my safe dividend safety standards yeah if you have like for me the benchmark is realty income as an example and you have always then this thinking that I heard at the time, like, ah, you know, even if the dividend is cut uh, in half, then I still get a 7.5% or 8% dividend yield. But what people don't re don't often realize is that it also resets the share price. Yeah, because the dividend yield is also a form of valuation and, and, and such. So if you bought it at, um, let's say, double the price and then the dividend goes in half, expect the price to 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 also have a new floor so it's not just the dividend income that you lose you also lose the capital uh, yeah the capital that you put into it so you get double screwed and we have seen this a lot with dividend cuts in the past uh, once this happened usually there's also a new floor in the share price and it's really hard uh, you, you really need to wait long for it to be meaningful and often we say like it's not about total return but with a dividend cut, I look. Uh, I look at that. No, if you buy and and with the reasoning, yeah, the dividend cut can be ha uh, cut in half, and I still get enough yield. I I think it's not. Yeah, I, I really have something against that as being a dividend growth investor. We want to have strong companies, and and let me reiterate that as dividend growth investors, it is first growth then dividend. We yeah. want to see companies that have an ability to grow, uh, bottom line, top line, and, and that should provide them, if they also have a healthy balance sheet and such, pr should provide them to give them ample room to grow the dividends for years to come. Yeah, so, and that's not what Medical Properties Trust is qualifying for. It's a pure high yield company. And you can use it, uh, you can have it, of course, in your portfolio as a high yield company. But then just know that these companies with such a risk, you also lose capital. And and, yeah. and it becomes a different conversation at that time than than a pure dividend growth investment play. Yeah, yeah, you're you're dead right. And just even a quick look at their quarterly financial trend over the last couple of quarters, it's down, but it's not down by one or two percent, they're double digit and sometimes even triple digits, 120% onwards. So it's been in decline in both share price and then all these growth metrics over the last couple of quarters. So I think the writing is pretty much on the wall. It wasn't it wasn't a drop out of nowhere or a quick flash in the pan. It was yeah. steadily dropping with earnings, with everything over the last number of quarters. So something had to give. Yeah. So 
Yeah, and, and then I also see, uh, sorry, maybe uh, our, some of our listeners will be pissed off with this, uh, but hey, we are having here an insulted opinion. Um, people are also now investing now because the stock is undervalued. But then I think like, okay, why are we, because it might be an overreaction, but why then medical properties uh, trust and not PayPal? What, what do you as an investor know more about the hospital business, which we specifically in europe we have no we have no visibility on that we don't walk in through those hospitals that are owned by medical property trust but paypal we use regularly right when we buy something online and and we kind of know something about this company so what makes us be us then be interested in the turnaround play for medical properties trust versus something like paypal yeah or or agen yeah, yeah. yeah. why this talk it's 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 a good point and why do people invest in real estate investment trusts? They're usually income investors, right? Usually. And and now they're getting saying, okay, this is undervalued. There's a chance for this share price to increase. But what about the dividend? Is it, What about the income? That's what you're investing for, I assume. Otherwise, you would not invest in real estate investment trusts. That's the only reason you typically invest in these types of companies. So it's, it's you're kind of, it's like a juxtaposition. You're kind of uh, antagonizing yourself. You're, you're in two different worlds investing in in some company that as you say is probably better off investing in someone like paypal yeah yeah look really if someone really did the homework and says like okay after the dividend cut like we did with shell it was necessarily we can see it growing from here and and there's a good growth story behind it you know then that then i can understand that but that's not what I hear. I usually hear undervalued. It's undervalued, undervalued. And I don't hear the dividend growth path forward. Yeah. Um, because that also means you should sell it once it hits its fair value or, or slightly overvalued. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's one of those controversial stocks uh, in the community. Uh, I don't touch it. Uh, I'm much more uh, better off with realty income or agree realty. Those are like having tenants that are like, supermarket chains and such that are kind of uh resistant to uh how you say it to to cyclic uh, cycles that are also having specifically realty income they have top-notch uh, uh tenants right with with high grade uh, profiles so yeah i prefer that much more anyway long story short uh, watch out with this one guys know why you own it and know and, and figure out if you really need it in your dividend growth portfolio yeah yeah, hey, listen, that might be a nice introduction then into our topic of this evening where we talk about risk, our risk appetite, um, and what comes to mind when we think about risk. And I think this came about, we were inspired, as usual, by some members of the community. Um, in this case, it was um, Javier who asked us to discuss how we diversify between brokers when you get well over 100k um so i think it'd be a nice discussion to talk a little bit about what comes to your mind when you think about risk and risk appetite yeah and i take it uh actually from my path to financial freedom so let's uh, not zoom in only on the portfolio but just in general uh managing my wealth my net worth yeah so uh, and there are a few aspects with uh ab about this and actually let's start with real estate most of my net worth is invested in real estate at the moment because i've got a low mortgage 
uh, well, high high interest rate on the mortgage, but let's say there's a lot of equity in my uh, in, in in my real estate. So, and and that's uh, probably important to mention here because it, it is a liability in the end. It doesn't yield me anything. It's not an investment. Uh, I need to pay it off. Um, I intend to live here until I uh, pass pass away one day. Um, so I will never be able to generate money from it uh, with our current plans. So that's where most of our money is. And I mentioned one time earlier on the podcast, that's also the reason why I don't pay down the mortgage to zero because all that is happening at the border in Belarus and everything makes me wonder like, look, I don't want all my money in mortar and bricks because if sometime uh, hell breaks loose here, I will, I, it's gone kind of, yeah. Uh, so that's also like my appetite to risk is there for also that I don't want to pay off my house entirely and, and use some debt on it that at least then is for the banks uh, at that time. I'm not expecting it, but it's like, you know, this, this in the back of my mind when it comes to decision making. Another one then is about cash in the bank. I also don't like too much cash in the bank. And um, I said, so my the cash in the bank for me is really like my emergency fund a bit of holiday reservation or vacation money reservation and then just my monthly bills that that's what i want to have on on the bank uh, i know that in europe our money is protected to hundred thousand euro um but i don't want hundred thousand euro on the bank because it doesn't do anything and inflation will eat it up so that's also for me really something that i have an issue with when it comes to appetite to to risk because the opportunity cost of it and then uh, the 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 other part of the wealth is really at the broker and here i have some issues so generally i'm i'm positive about the brokers that i use i use the hero a lot i use interactive brokers a lot and I use a bit of trading 212. Generally, I'm positive about them. The functionality is there. I get my dividends. I'm, of course, annoyed about that they don't give dividend vouchers uh, so that we can easily reclaim uh, tax from foreign uh, entities. But, you know, do you trust them entirely with that your money is safe? Because everything is just digital. Uh, we hear sometimes like like how brokers in America at the time, um, uh, which broker was it, Robin Hood, how they were dealing with, with the money. Was it with GameStop that they suddenly just froze people's accounts and everything? So we know, of course, what happened with FTX, yeah, the, the, the cryptocurrency exchange. Um, also, the hero gets several times you know, some remarks by the AFM, the Dutch uh, watchdog. Uh, interactive brokers is a uh, is a US entity. Uh, some something that I'm actually the most positive of about all all brokers, but there's always this feeling like because I can't see it, I can't touch it. I have this feeling like always like is the money safe? It's probably one of the most questions asked to interactive brokers. Um, so I I, to, I trust mostly that my money is safe there because the shares in are in my name. Yeah, they are of course registered by the by interactive brokers but they need to again keep that money in our name as well so that's all known so my my shares sh should be safe nevertheless um, i do have this rule that when my account goes up above 100k i want to look at the at the next broker um, they are just to spread risk and this 100k 
doesn't really matter i think because there is no protection towards like money or something yeah well there's money if it's a bank account that you're broker you have some protection i think it's shares is up to 20k yeah. uh, something like that so and i don't want to open an account after every 20k yeah but um i am using different companies let's say to store my money and to have a certain amount of shares uh, in there and then i try to optimize uh, having the interactive brokers more for uh, us uh, shares the hero more for european shares and such but that's for really for me a bit of risk management that if one broker would really go, go down it might be that you may not be able to practically to access your money for a year yeah we see that also with celsius and, and, and some of those platforms yeah one is that it's yours but second how are you going to prove it do you have a screenshot if they if they made a mess of their accounting and 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 third yeah will you even have access while the market is fluctuating all the time so at least then you know let's say if you would have 300 400k there and one of the brokers would go bust you have an issue for 25 percent of your um, uh, portfolio at that time so that's how i kind of look at it so, so if you use that logic, let, let's hypothetically say you have a portfolio of one million, okay? Yeah. Uh, by that logic, you would need ten different brokers, or would you would you split it with five different brokers? And yeah, I think it would be four or five at that volume because I think I would be looking at twenty five percent, twenty percent risk tolerance okay. on that one. And would you split it? Because part of the question from Javier is, would you split it between you and your, say, your wife, your partner, or, or family? Or would you have it all still? No, different I mean. companies, different companies. Um, because like I mentioned, if I can't access the money and and we have, uh, I have it on my wife and my, and I have two accounts. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same issue. So I do split it. Again, um, I'm not saying that any of these brokers is unsafe. Uh, to the contrary, I think we have really good financial authorities in Europe that really look after that. They learned a lot from the iSafe uh, debacle as well. Um, they're proactive. Yeah, we can see that with the hero. So I think we're in a good situation in Europe in general, uh, specifically with the more popular brokers. They get the required amount of attention. And also there are a lot of people uh, like retail investors asking this question, discussing this online. So there's just a lot of talk about this. But still, just in this once in a hundred years event, I want to make sure that I can access my money as much as possible. So that, that's why I'm doing this. Like the, the one question I always ask myself with, with this is how do the mega rich, how do they spread the risk and, and, and spread the money around? Because they obviously have millions, sometimes even yeah. billions. And um, we're talking here where, look, <laughs> we, we're bottom of the pile when, when you look at it in a certain respect. We're talking about 100,000 or 200,000. Where did these guys store money? Because yeah. they're, they're going to have, say, if you had 10 million, where do you spread that across? I mean, that that always... I, I have no own. clue because I'm just a simple middle-class man. Yeah, exactly, I, don't know, yeah. I, I don't know such people. <laughs> do, we, do we have bigger trust issues than them? <laughs> I mean, do they just trust the financial institutions more than they trust us? Are they better protected? Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite a strange one because we're talking about a relatively small amount of money in broader terms but a large amount of money in in terms of the demographic yeah. that that we're in um but i'm quite similar i don't trust the banks <laughs> i don't trust them one bit you see what happened in greece you see what happened in the united states recently um when banks yeah. need your money if your money is in the bank you cannot get that money 
Um, it's one of the reasons why there's lots of these small petitions going on. Particularly, I've seen more in the UK um, and some in Ireland around keeping cash because they're trying to get rid of cash. I don't think there's any mm -hmm. secret of that. Um, but it's just for the older generation, even the generation above me, they can see the risk in that. I mean, the, once the bank has your yeah. money, they control everything. They can set the fees. They can take your money. They can they can do what you want. And, yeah. and I don't feel too safe with all my money in the bank. I don't feel too safe with all my money at home. And I don't feel too safe with all my money in investments. Because at the end of the day, all of that can be taken away from you by one simple thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I, I I distribute all of that and and make sure that if one goes down, uh, the other six or seven are still online. Let's say, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that's really how I look at that from a uh, net worth port uh, net worth point of view. Uh, so so the banks, the brokers, the the real estate, yeah, and then about my portfolio itself, I've got like position sizes, so maximum five percent. We also got a question from Marek um, uh, about that. Marek Nazarko, he asked us like, what do you mean saying full position, full in target time, or for now? I, I mean in in target time. Yeah, that's for me a full position. So I know kind of if I want to, uh, let's say, be financially independent, I know how much dividends this position would need to generate for me i know kind of also what that means from a, a size in in in, in uh, how is it the portfolio value uh, of that one position and sometimes i say even it's a full full position because i know i still have let's say five years to grow to there and if it just hikes the dividend over the time by 10 percent, i'm there yeah so i don't need to put fresh capital anymore so I, I that's also for me again i mentioned that more often if one company goes bust the other the rest of the portfolio will need to do the heavy lifting and if my portfolio grows eight to ten percent over a year i can have one to two companies going bust every year and i would have a flat portfolio which in reality never happened um but it is still like how i think about uh, risk i know this is not like modern risk theory for when you when you go to university i had that as well that stuff way too complicated for me and, and not too complicated to calculate but complicated to manage then you need to just be a um, in my opinion investment manager or something like that that does this continually continuously manage your money for me it's there for really like in, in simple terms like working backwards what would happen if a company goes bust how much do i feel comfortable with oh, that's how i come how i establish this uh, i think it's it's uh for me it, it it works let's say yeah um and then there's one more thing that i've been thinking about lately um that are two two things one is a margin of safety on my dividend income so i i'm thinking more and more lately that i should have at least a 10 or 20 percent margin of safety before i would call myself financial independent you don't know if dividend cuts or something like that or currency uh, that suddenly devalues uh, uh, with the US dollar or something like that. So I'm thinking maybe I'll just extend it for a year. Um, uh, my, my re let's say early retirement or fin financial independent crossover date just to buy some build some margin of uh, safety there. And the last thing about risk is still income sources. So both my wife and I have a full-time job at the moment um yeah and, and and this is also of course uh a bit of risk management so we don't have one sole provider if one of us gets sick then we can live also on on the other one's income 
So I think from that point of view, I have a really conservative uh, setup financially. Yeah, yeah, it, it, quite quite similar in, in some respects. Um, mostly where we differ is probably the income sources. Um, me and my my wife does work part time now because she doesn't have to. She she stopped for a, a year or two. Remember, I think I spoke on it before. I was able to retire on on my wage, but actually the fact of being at home when everyone's in work and not having that social interaction is is quite difficult actually um yeah. so she does work part-time um which she enjoys but it's not it's not huge money it's like if yeah. if if i was out of work for three years she would have to get a, a proper job say like a, not a proper yeah. job but a, a job that would supplement the income a little bit better yeah. um but we, we we have that risk we have a buffer behind us in case i do go out of work for a long period of time roughly 12 months that we can support ourselves and she's qualified in numerous different things that she can actually get higher pay jobs if if we need um but mm -hmm. that's that's a different kind of risk that that we're willing to take um she gets to more, spend more time with the kids my kids are younger um she gets to spend more time with her her father her family and her mother um so i think it's worth the risk in in my opinion quality of life over working is, yeah. is much better at least for for my wife i get to do the other side of it but i'm happy to do that i wouldn't like to be i wouldn't like to be doing what she's doing if, if you get me i like yeah. keeping yeah, busy yeah. And, and, and working um but one thing i always have to remember with my investments is how that impacts my family life and we do joke a lot on this because sometimes we postpone because they take a lot of short breaks or vacations or i'm away on weekends um but you have to think of your family too um if i was on my own what a sad life that would be but if i was i would probably invest a lot more of my income i could live frugally i don't need to spend a lot of money yeah if i would live alone i would just buy uh not even buy i would just probably rent like a 15 square meter room with a kitchen attached with other people living in it and <laughs> yeah. there would be like a, a bed in it plus one chair and a computer yeah i mean yeah that would yeah, be it, it i'd be i'd be quite similar and, and i'd be retired in about five six years and <laughs> yeah exactly and, and that would be it but you look you you have to think of your wife your family your kids how it impacts them and the risk you take so how much money can I put into my investments that will not impact our life? And that's oh, that's a big I will thing. Be, uh, I will be that uh, quick as well, because how long can you sustain on Rayburn, Raymond noodles, those packages <laughs> where you add some hot water to it? Yeah, yeah well, uh, you know, there's plenty of takeaways. I'd be, I'd be living in the pub down the road. They do roast dinners every day. So I'd be Yeah, just... no, that, that's healthy and keeps you alive. <laughs> <laughs> Guinness, lots of Guinness. Yeah, um, yeah so look, for me, as I said, risk is something important for me, but I have to take into consideration yeah. where my wife is. So I try and we structure in a way we pay more off our mortgage than what I would like, but that's where yeah. my wife is more comfortable. So we we yeah. sat down at the start of the year. I invest around 40% of my income in, in stocks. She doesn't question that, but we do have to put more away then for our mortgage. And mm -hmm. that keeps that keeps my wife happy. We're both happy and we can we can invest in um in the knowledge that if something did happen if the banks did shut down if the brokers did close ourselves we're not too bad in terms of our living situation now so yeah. we always say invest what you can afford to lose and genuinely that's that's what i do so i don't worry yeah. about my money once it's there um, it is a hot topic what to do with the brokers and what you do here i have two brokers at the moment 
if both of them go bust at the same time, we have a huge problem. It's probably yeah. going to be a, a global problem and not just a meat mm -hmm. problem. That's that's the way. And I look um, at it. is any anything of of your risk management or appetite to risk from a let's say financial freedom point of view or net worth point of view driven by past experiences? Yes. Um, so you, look, you, no secret. In the past, I was a bit of a gambler and tried to accelerate mm -hmm. my path to financial freedom by chasing huge gains and you end up losing a lot of money and and actually that's where the family bit comes in and um, before i would have just gone gung ho myself and not worried about what was going on around me but at least having the family grounds me in terms of i have to have a certain amount of income a certain amount of money to the side that looks after my family and that's number one yeah. that's that's number one priority after that then whatever's left i can afford to lose and I've given up chasing the, the quick path to wealth and now I'm on the, the slow and steady path to wealth. Yeah. Good. 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 Interesting topic. Uh, I hope it was also useful for the, for the listeners. Our approach, of course, it's not an academic approach that we use. We're just sharing our experiences here and, 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 and specifically also the reasoning behind it, why we make certain choices. If you have certain ways of doing it as well, please let us know. I'm always willing to learn from others as well. So if you have some golden nuggets, uh, please do share it with us on the Facebook group, uh, preferably. That would be really nice. But yeah, let's uh, from here, let's go uh, close this topic and let's go to some of the listeners' questions. And the first one is from MB. And we get this question sometimes, and he's asking, what about Japanese stocks? Do you find them interesting because of the cheaper yen? Yeah, I'm not surprised we're getting asked about this with the yen and getting hammered. But I haven't looked at them. There are some Japanese companies that I like. Uh, I give a gamble of Keynes before I give them again. Um, they are Japanese companies like, but honestly, I haven't felt the urge to move into the Asian markets. Um, I think mm. watching what happened with Alibaba in particular, it just showed me I don't really have the appetite to risk in Asia. <laughs> and it comes back yeah. to risk. It comes back to risk. Yeah. I mean, we don't, not that we can control Europe or America, but I think I understand them a little bit more. I, I struggle with Asia more than that and information is a lot more freely available to me in europe so yeah and it also then i mean there's nothing against japan itself right but it's just also you need to start building knowledge again in another ge geographical area yeah, understand how consumers think and such so for me therefore it's also more than enough europe and uh, the us it's already a really large uh, stock universe um, MH79, if you had to buy one stock today you don't have in your portfolio yet, what would it be? Uh, yeah, so I found it really, I find it really hard to answer this one. But if I would choose one, I would probably create an initiating position, maybe a Nike. Hey, they're getting cheap. Well, I don't know cheap. That's, hold on, that, that's a big thing. No, statement. they're not getting yeah. cheap, but... Uh, they are dropping in share price. Yeah, but there's a sentiment of Michael Jordan and, you know, I saw his documentary also not too long ago and those shoes are really great. So it would be more like for me, uh, not from a valuation point of view, but more sentiment. Yeah, Pro probably on, on, on that note, it'd be someone like Berkshire Hathaway. Um, oh, I, do, I don't have nice any one. shares, but if I was going to pick one that I just wanted one share and just leave there, probably one of those days. Nice, nice. 
Um, Jesper has asked us, where do you see the growth story and value in our holds? Can they compete with the many discount stores? As he understands it, our hold are not a hardcore discount store. Um, yeah, that, that's true. Um, you know, I lived in the Netherlands and I, I, I see this question as directed to, towards uh, the, the Dutch uh, stores because we're not talking about the US here. But look, there's also a certain, at least when I was still in the Netherlands, if you go to Ahold, it also shows kind of that, that you can afford it. Yeah, so there's also something premium to Ahold. And, and I think that's important to understand when you think about the brand. Not everyone wants to go to Lidl, and not everyone wants to see be seen with a bag coming home from Lidl or Action. Yeah, there, there is sentiment to that. Um, and, and that that's important and Ahold supply chain is so superior to most of the others in the in the Dutch landscape and also where their shops are they have uh, what is a hundred year of history they are top-notch locations they have the money to be at the best locations so even for even this like that that for many people there's not in their surroundings, let's say, uh, so much alternative. Of course, you've got the Yumbos in the Netherlands and, and, and the others and such. They have also been really doing well lately. But they're also not the cheapest. They're also kind of trying to be an Ahold. So I think it's important to know that, that not everyone wants to go always to the cheapest um, uh, retail discount store. Yeah, there's a certain element of keeping up with the Joneses, I think, in in yeah. places. And do you know what? Location location is really important there. Um, yeah. I, I have an example close to home, and if, if people in my area are listening, they might not be too happy. But there, there's an area not too far from where I live, which is known for its snobbery, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Even though they're not the people, some people are nice, but they still have this air of snobbery about them. And we have this one store called Arkeen Stores. And yeah. there's a little right beside it, and you can buy the same thing in both shops, and it costs you three times the amount in our keen stores. Okay, yeah. But our keen stores is jam packed every single day, every hour of every yeah. day, because people yeah. want to be seen in that area shopping in that shop. It's yeah, crazy. yeah, exactly. It's uh, exactly. But then also think, you know, there are other uh, reasons for going to Ahold. Ahold with their app. They were the first supermarket chain with yes. an app where you could create your shopping list and then you could order your shopping list by the path of the shop where you would go for shopping. Yeah, yeah. That's what I still remember in the early 2000s uh, when mobile phones were just there with apps. Um, uh, how is it? Another one is their shop and go. I, I, I forgot how it's called, but they were at every uh, station in the Netherlands. And there, that was so funny. You can buy. Uh, you could buy at the time like an apple for ten or fifteen euro cents, and they would they would sell packaged apples sliced in pieces for a euro and a half or something like that. So for people that were going by train, they would quickly uh, jump in there. They wanted the coffee and uh, something healthy. They would take a sliced apple. But imagine the margins on all this stuff. Yeah, this is this is all the time. Yeah, uh, here. So I, I'm not, I, I can't really talk about the US from that point of view, but Food Lion seems to be also quite a decent shop and such. But uh, yeah, that's for me really why I see that uh, Ahold has this pricing power. And then last but not least, Ahold's own brands are really, really cheap. 
yeah. and and really really uh, in desire so they offer something to the low income people as well at the same time yeah um good question um paolo has asked us dollar tree and dicks um the earnings their stock price is falling in relation to some thefts that have been happening in some of their stores recently there's something like this in your portfolio concern you well, uh, it's impacting Target as well, right? Mm. Um, and then there are those videos online that shows how, how some shops are massively being robbed uh, by by many people at the same time. And I don't know what's going on in the US there, but let's not go into, uh, how is it, uh, political uh, laws and, and the, these kinds of things. But um, yeah, it, uh, it impacts Target. And I hope they get it sorted, yeah. It yeah. doesn't concern me, no, because it's a small position. Yeah, if if it's a short term, if it's a short term thing, I, I mean, I assume if your management and your stores are being robbed in a certain area, yeah. you're going to close it down. If your stores have been robbed in the whole area, every single area, yeah. you're either in the wrong areas, or there's a there's a bigger problem. Um, that's the way I would I would look at it. Yeah. I, I I don't think it's in the wider area. I think it's constricted to certain certain pockets. Um, so I'm sure management will take actions to either yeah. close them or, or move into better areas. Um, Seeking Arum has asked us a good question. Why invest in dividend stocks when you can invest risk-free in the US 10-year treasury with an over 4% yield? Because that treasury yield doesn't grow my income. That's a good answer. <laughs> um, Next question from Marek is, uh, you've answered this already, but I'll, I'll just repeat it, is what do you mean saying full position, um, full and target time are for now? I think you've answered that already. Yeah, but how about you? Um, for me, full position is full position completely. Um, that might change in a, when I reach my goal and I make a new goal. <laughs> so if I, okay. if, if, I want to, if I want to increase my dividend income, say from 50,000 to 70,000, uh, then I might readjust. But it's full position in terms of my target goal right now. Nice. Um, Thomas has asked us, um, he said, three years ago, I started to invest in stocks and listening to your podcast gave me lots of insights. Glad to hear that. Um, currently, some sectors look undervalued, such as insurance, real estate, investment trust, telecom, and utilities. What are your thoughts about the utility sector? Um, and he talks about tickers such as Fortis, um, and UGI Corp and TC Energy. Um, yeah, so I'm not a specialist uh, in the utility uh, sector. I hardly analyze it because I'm not so interested in the stock. So maybe a little bit about uh, UGI. I, I, I screened it at least. So for the people that don't know it, UGI uh, Corporation is a company that uh, actually with uh, operating both in the United States and Europe, it distributes stores and transports energy products and serves through those areas right um so they have americas propane uh, ugi international they've got midstream and marketing business and then utilities and you know uh, look at the dividend profile it has a yield of 6.6 percent uh, it has been it has a dividend growth rate of 5.6 percent the payout ratio of 51 percent and 30 years plus uh, of dividend growth so for me it sounds like a very attractive company to to move to the next step from screener to analysis and i might do that here so thank you also for bringing it to our attention uh thomas 
And yeah, I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned to you off air, I think um, this would make a very good topic for the podcasts, particularly around undervalued sectors. I think it's something that we haven't done. Um, and he's listed mm -hmm. four sectors. There's probably more that that would be nice to look into. So maybe we could do that sometime next yeah. month. Yeah, sounds good. Good. Um, Anders has asked us. Would love to hear your thoughts on Asa Abloy versus Al Allegiant. Allegiant. Yeah. Um, competitors in the same sector. Both companies have good moat and a great dividend history. Yeah, so I, I haven't studied Allegiant enough. That's why I would go for Asa Abloy at the moment in time. But I think this is something we should get back to. I think uh, I, I like really the comparison uh, conversation here. Um, Asa Abloy inspired me to buy a lock picking set. And uh, I've been teaching myself a little bit how to pick locks. So that's really interesting. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, we should probably do a heads up. Uh, I said a head ahead comparison between the both of them maybe on the podcast maybe on a blog article something like that so under stay tuned we might get back to this one okay nice um wolf of Harcourt street um actually no i skipped a couple so jonas has asked us what are our thoughts on investing in bdc's um i think uh, we're not my circle of competence so I stay away from that yeah i think we were asked this quite recently um yeah. and i did suggest going on to youtube dividend bull is there and is, is a lot more knowledgeable I'd, I'd hate to pass on information that would be false but his videos seem quite quite good in in that area um javier asked us to talk about ticker symbol nee which is next terra um i would recommend checking out jeremy's um blog article on this jeremy was on this show oh must be nearly two months ago now um yeah but he wrote a very very in-depth and nice article on them literally a week later he posted it in the face group book group again but we'll try to dig out the link and, and stick it here again um next one is of course from wolf of hardcore street any thoughts on aden as part of your mad money portfolio allocation yeah so maybe we need to pronounce it differently it's atien atien yeah atien is uh, like stripe uh, such a payment provider um, a really really fast growing company and their share price dropped by 40 percent or something like that so losing 20 billion in a matter of one or two days because uh, effectively their income was flat i believe they have been hiring people uh, like crazy now that the opportunity was there so their margins dropped significantly um so share price went from i don't know one and a half thousand to around 750 780 right now of course it caught the attention of many people because it was one of such growth darlings on uh, fintwit um yeah i've been actually looking at it i think that the share price is um well I, let's say like that i haven't done a valuation let's say it differently i think that the market is heavily overreacting i think the company has done really well to invest in their in in talent right now now that the opportunity is there because it's really hard to get a uh, good talent in it that comes at a cost simply like that and i think it sets them up for the future to to do even more because what what i also understood from ceo they were always constrained in what they could deliver because of the lack of people Mm. So they've been able to kind of invest in that, bring costs forwards with that. So I think this is one of those moments that the market is short-term, where you can see the short-termism of the market. But if you have a long-term view, 
and you like the company above thousand euro then you must love it below thousand euro um i haven't done analysis further so i can't say anything about the value but i think just in general the the response to such a report where the company is investing in the long term i yeah that that shows a little bit the craziness of the stock market okay um the next question is from el cuba and he's asked us about our thoughts on geronimo martins a ticker symbol jmt which i believe is a portuguese stock yeah and that's true and i know why el cuba is and asking that because they own um i think probably the biggest supermarket chain in poland called Biedronka, which is i think how do you call those little uh insects um ladybugs yes the red yes. ones with the, yeah yeah that's the logo of them and they also own Hebe. Uh, Hebe is kind of um, a, a store where you can buy perfumes and these kinds of things, uh, toothpaste. Uh, that. So, and there are like 3,400 of those stores. I mean, there are a few in my village where, uh, where I live. Um, I go shopping there almost every day. So when we go back to Jesper, that's not a premium brand uh, uh, supermarket chain. Um, it's just around the corner for me. And uh yeah really good it's always packed there always people there everyone knows this brand as well um so it is a really really um a good position in poland uh, as far as i can talk about so i don't know how they're doing in portugal with their their chains but there's one thing um just turning me off here they have um i said they have a dividend policy which is about paying out 40 to 50% of their consolidated net earnings. And what this leads to is to fluctuating dividends. So in 2017 and 2018, they paid 61 cents, 2019, 33, and then 35, 29, and now 79. Yeah, and the payout ratio now went to 100%. I don't know why, but for me, this is uh, too much roller coaster in dividend uh, payments. Uh, for me to to like this company so it's therefore for me it's not a candidate uh, but i rather uh, buy my stuff at their shops because i get some i keep some money in my pocket and uh, to invest in dividends or in companies that actually grow their dividend nice i honestly would have never heard that company so i'm glad i'm glad you did um next question is from hobby investor and he has asked us what do we think of the debt levels of british american tobacco um and from my memory i don't think it was too bad their long-term debt to equity was sitting around 50 percent if i remember correctly um they have a current ratio of around 0.5 interest expense was around 7.8 six i think uh, i was only looking at them a few weeks ago um so i don't think their debt levels were actually too concerning for me um but honestly i haven't looked deep enough in the last few weeks to to give a proper answer but it wasn't something that i remember being concerned about no this the same the same for me um they, they did this major acquisition was it reynolds or something yes. like that in 2017 yeah. so that's where they're when their uh debt ballooned but come on, you know, the debt is is half of their shareholders' equity or something like that. Uh, free cash flow is having a 50% payout ratio. So um, I'm, I'm totally not concerned about this. So what do they have? Uh, last time I checked, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at my dashboard here. It was like a, 
a 37 billion, let it be 40 billion debt now uh, against uh, uh, 75 billion in cash and equity. Yeah. So no, I'm 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 actually not concerned. Yeah, I was I, I was thinking when I saw that question, I felt like have I missed something? That's <laughs> that's what what came to my mind. But uh, no, there was nothing that overly stuck out for me when I was looking at them. Um, but I'm due to do a, an in-depth review of them soon. Um, so maybe maybe that'll throw up something yep. that I've missed. Good. Yep. Um, the investing dosage has asked us, what are your thoughts about the current levels of T. Rowe Price and MPW? Well, I think we spoke about T. Rowe Price before. I like it uh, here. Um, don't expect any fireworks in the near term. Um, dividend well covered, no debt. So I'm, I'm happy with T. Rowe Price. I own it. I've been buying around this price level. So good one. And yeah, I've, I think we spoke about medical properties yeah. trust already. Um, really, guys, my my advice is please stay away if you are if you want it as part of your dividend growth portfolio, unless you felt like this was the big reset. Their business is healthy enough, and there's lots of potential going forward. I would like to challenge you in this interest rate environment, and we don't know when that stops these interest uh, high interest rates. So, yeah, good luck with with the owners, of course, of of these shares. Yeah. Herman has asked us about the Hershey company, ticker symbol HSY. Um, the company seems to become an attractive. I can see you're smiling. You like this company. Um, the company seems to become an attractive, or should we wait for the Coca Cocoa price to drop and wait for the effect of El Nino in the coming years? <laughs> you know what El Nino is, right? Some sort of... Uh Storm El Nino is this, yeah, exactly. That what is kind of influencing the whole climate. Look, uh, for me, Herman, really simple. There are some there are some companies that I do valuation uh, of, and some companies not. Really simple. Hershey, I buy it when it trades at two point seventy five percent dividend yield. It haven't been, it hasn't been trading there for a long time. Last time it did, it did is when I bought it. It was at hundred dollars. It went into the stratosphere. I like this company. Uh, everyone wants chocolate. This is one uh, of such uh, sleep well at night stocks, but at the right yield. And for me, 2.75% is a good one. They continue hiking the dividends. So I'm really happy with this one. And I would love to own more. Oh, okay. It seems to be coming. Uh, attractive price. I, I will say the only El Nino I knew before this was Fernando Torres. <laughs> Played for <laughs> Liverpool. Uh, but no, nice. Good good company. And and I don't think waiting is, is a good idea. We don't know what, what will happen. So if they're becoming attractive now, why not buy now? Long term view. Um, Pash has asked us, what do you think about Disney? Sell or hold? Um, I don't even look at them anymore. Yeah. Uh, they first need to pay a dividend that's covered by cash flow. Then, then I will look them up again. Um, the next one, or the last one, is from Paul Kitt, and he's asked us, what are our thoughts about Broadcom, ticker symbol AVGO? He feels it's such a strong dividend grower, and it's not mentioned anywhere near enough. Uh, we don't mention them enough on here. I think we, we have spoke once or twice about them, and we did have a show, I remember, way, way back in the beginning. Remember we had the guy from yeah. South Africa, John, on, who yeah. was a huge advocate of, of Broadcom. Um, it's someone we probably should talk about more because they do have a really good history. I think someone gave a good yeah. example on Twitter recently, but look, we don't. And I honestly, I bypass them quite a bit. Um, they kind of fall out of my, my range. 
Yeah, for, for me, Broadcom, um, usually th these things come also on our table when they're really attractively valued, right? Yeah. And then we speak also a bit more about them. Um, look, I, I always disliked the way the company does business, but it made people filthy rich uh, there. So definitely some uh, one of those companies that I've been misjudging here. Um, it's 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 a beautiful growth story what what you're seeing there with Broadcom. Yeah, yeah. Hey, sometimes we get stuff wrong. So, yeah, exactly. Okay, um, that's it. Thanks to everyone for all your questions. Um, really appreciate them. Would love to hear your thoughts on the show. Obviously, we would love to hear your thoughts on whether you'd like us to do. I think we mentioned two topics: one about undervalued sectors and one about comparing as a ally as well. So, if, which one would you like us to do next? And we would possibly do that so until then see you next time remember both of us at dividend talk are not certified financial specialists through formal education we are just two guys sharing our journey for inspiration and entertainment purposes hence this is not investment advice although we do our best we can't promise that the information discussed is always correct nor appropriate for you or anybody else we always recommend that you do your own due diligence and be accountable for your own choices as we always say you can't borrow conviction from others last but not least by listening to our podcast you agree to hold us harmless from any ramifications financial or otherwise that occur to you as a result of acting on information provided in this podcast